Listen now to God's word from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because the widows were never being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they say pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient of the faith. This is the word of the Lord. I invite, Pastor, I invite Pastor Sherry to pray with us. Throughout history, you have spoken to your people through many messengers, challenging and guiding us to be the people who created us to be. Anoint Pastor Sherry with your spirit this morning, that she may use words that are pleasing to you and open our ears and hearts that we may follow lovingly. In your son's name we pray, amen. Got my handkerchief ready. <laughs> Just in case either the Holy Spirit comes in a mighty way or it's a little bit too hot in here. But uh, as you know, our church is going through another strategic planning process right now. And we have been given the privilege of leading a process of spiritual discernment to discover and to set the general directions and priorities of ministry here at MIPC for the next five years. We know that in some ways our control over what happens here in the next five years is only an illusion. No matter what we plan, we must always, always be open to the Spirit's leading. And if we are open to the Spirit's leading, we will sometimes find ourselves moving in a direction that never even crossed our minds in all of our attempts to gather and compile information and, and to create our final plan. We see that happening, I believe, in the stories we read about in the earliest church, in the Acts of the Apostles. We've been hearing them all through the summer. Now, I don't know for sure if they had a five-year plan, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had attempted some version of one. We do know that they had discerned priorities for um, their community and how to organize their life together. A few weeks ago, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. And then we read that all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
They sold their possessions and goods and distributed them all as any had need. In fact, one of their earliest mission statements was that, quote, there was not a needy person among them. It sounded so idealistic, so the way it should be, so impossible. What I'm noticing as I study again this progression of establishing the first Christian churches is that really not a lot has changed. Every church has their ideals, the ways their pastors and leaders believe in their heart of hearts. God is challenging them to go and to grow. These ideals are and were much easier to maintain when a church is not in the midst of change or growth. But when it begins to change or to grow, a little grumbling is hard to avoid as people cope with the reality that things are not as they once were. And change or growth often brings out hidden issues. Growth may not so much create the problem as reveal issues that have been conveniently swept under the rug for a while. But this particular issue that caused some grumbling back then must have been especially hard for the church to hear. It cut to the heart of their mission statement, the core of their identity. I can just hear them. What do you mean there are needy people among us? We always take care of everyone. Undoubtedly, they believed that was true. Except, it's hard to even know the needs of the people with whom you don't associate. Ah, life in the early church had its thorny issues too. This was a conflict between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. The term Hellenists refers to those Jews who for 500 years had spread throughout the Mediterranean basin. They remained Jewish, but they spoke Greek and not Aramaic. Their diet remained kosher, but with a Cyprian twist or an Athenian flair. It was not uncommon for those Jews who had gone away from Jerusalem to make their way back to the mother country, especially in their twilight years, so that they could be buried in the holy city. As they would settle in Jerusalem or around or near Jerusalem, and the husbands would die, this would leave the widows to fend for themselves, often without the extended family resources of those Aramaic-speaking Jews, here called the Hebrews. Now apparently, hang in there with me, the Hebrews often discriminated against the Hellenists, whom the Pharisees held in utter contempt, considering them, the Hellenists, second-class citizens, second-class Israelites, Jews, people of faith, of their own faith. As you know, people tend to associate with those who share their own language and cultural background, especially those who are on the outside looking in and who feel less than welcomed by the majority culture. The Hellenist Jews even had their own separate synagogues. 
Then came Pentecost. That's the first event of the Acts of the Apostles, this book we've been reading together. And thousands of Hebrew Jews, plus hundreds of maybe thousands of Hellenist Jews, became one in Christ. Happy ending, right? Wrong. Sadly, belief in Christ did not erase all of their prejudices. The Greek-speaking widows soon felt that they were being neglected. The Jewish practice was to take care of their community through a distribution system of money and food, as there was no social security or welfare system. In a society where women could not support themselves, and as Christians, they may have also lost all support that they may ever have had from the Jewish temple, so you can see these Christian, Hellenist, Greek widows were in desperate need. It would be easy to imagine how some people could have been overlooked. The church was growing so rapidly. Or it could have been that the oversight was due to a lack of desire to go out to the homes or communities of people who spoke a different language and who ate strange foods. It may have been intentional or purely an oversight, but the hurt was the same regardless. And that hurt had to be intentionally addressed if the church was to remain true to her mission and her calling. And so the apostles decided on a plan. They would gather the whole Greek community together and ask them to raise up leaders from among themselves to administer the feeding program for their own community. Now, as an aside, this is one of the best strategies for leadership that a a pastor can use. Uh, When someone comes up to us and asks us something like, why don't you have a program for this group or for that purpose? Don't be surprised if you hear us say something like, how can we support you? in trying to make that happen. Now don't get upset. We're not dodging the issue. We're being very biblical, protecting and focusing on our own priorities of ministry while seeking to identify and deploy the gifts of the people. But I digress. So the apostles end up doing a bold thing. Knowing that they themselves could not keep up They couldn't begin to keep up with all of the needs of their ever-growing church and remain true to their primary calling of preaching and prayer. They publicly acknowledge and empower seven Hellenist Jews to this specific ministry. Seven of those Greek Hellenist Jewish Christians. They were all, all of those seven men who Pio named so beautifully, They were Greek, all of them. That means that they were men who had been, of course, officially welcomed into the Christian community, but chances were they were probably not fully accepted or included because of their different language and ethnicity and their different ways of doing things. It may have been one thing to welcome them as fellow members, but to acknowledge their gifts as leaders in the church and publicly empower them for ministry was a huge step for that early church. 
Yet the more I thought about it, the more I began to wonder if it might have been even more radical if some of those seven men had been Hebrew Christians ordained to serve those Hellenist Christians. Then they would have had a role model of leaders of both perceived sides in this dispute, working together to serve Christ and one another. The Hebrew Christian leaders would have had an opportunity to get to know the Hellenist people personally instead of from a distance. And that might have gone even further to heal the division that was among them. It's so much easier staying in our own community with people who are pretty much just like we are, isn't it? I don't mean to take away from what happened. I'm sure the leaders measured carefully the pros and cons of how to go about solving this dispute in their planning meetings. And I'm also sure that probably the last thing they wanted to do was to stir up even more grumbling by maybe forcing people to go too far beyond their comfort zones as leaders. But here is the, what I think, anyway, is the amazing thing in this story. The apostles faithfully made their plans. No, they maybe didn't do the boldest thing they could have done, but their plan to address the grumbling and division, and more importantly, the injustice, was successful. The widows were cared for and, and well cared for. And then, and here's the amazing thing, God took the good work they began and proceeded to bring it to a place they would have never imagined. You see, once the apostles set apart those seven men for leadership, the Holy Spirit began to set them free to use their gifts for the glory of God. Now, the apostles probably pictured the impact of those men's ministry to be limited to that particular Greek community, to meet that particular need at that time. But you see, the Spirit cannot be contained or limited to a particular place or people. And once you start to offer your life and your talents to God in service, you are changed forever. I know that was true for me. And I have seen that truth manifested time and time again in your lives. And it was most certainly true for Philip and for Stephen. We read later on in Acts that Philip, one of the seven, becomes an evangelist to the Gentiles. And Stephen, full of grace and power, we're told, from the Holy Spirit, did great wonders and signs among the people, not just of that community, but far beyond. God took the good work those apostles began and brought it to a place that they would never have imagined. Stephen preached with such conviction to some of the Hellenist Jewish leaders in the Greek community that they began to complain to the priests and the council. And in fact, in the end, they were so enraged, so angry, that they silenced Stephen forever 
by stoning him to death. Scripture tells us that in the crowd that day, observing the attack, was a Hellenist Jewish leader named Saul. Stephen's death, in fact, marked a radical turning point in the Acts narrative of the church's mission. On that day of his stoning, we read in chapter 8 that a severe persecution began. Never again, never again was there to be a focus of evangelistic effort in Jerusalem, the holy city. Stephen's death causes the movement of the early Christian mission to push away from Jerusalem out to Rome. And so it is that Stephen's ministry that began to contain a conflict in the Greek Christian community ends up serving to crack the doors of the church wide open to all people. By his own testimony, Stephen's martyrdom was a significant feature of Saul's own conversion toward becoming the Apostle Paul. Later on, he said that he was deeply moved by his memory of seeing Stephen's faithfulness to Jesus, even unto death. You see, the plans and the purposes of God are always greater than our anticipation or initial understanding of them. We do our best as leaders to make faithful decisions, but we know that they are never perfect and that they are always limited. Yet God is faithful to take our best intentions and then turn them into God's intentions. Did you hear that? It should be good news. God is faithful to take our best intentions and then to turn them into God's intentions. The apostles' decision to call for the appointment of those ta seven table servers solved the problem that caused the grumbling and allowed them to then focus on preaching the gospel and, and on prayer. It was a good decision and solution, but it was limited. It didn't go as far as it could have to heal the division in the church. But God was not limited. God was not limited. God was still free to raise up two of those seven that they had selected for the task of serving food to a small group of people and then give them the mission of serving the word of God to the world. The apostles didn't plan for that. They did not appoint Philip and Stephen to that task. They did not give them the power to work signs and wonders. They did not disciple those men with the hope that they would share in their calling to take the gospel out to all nations. All of that was the sovereign purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit within them. 
the sign, the true sign of Pentecost among them. So friends, let's take away from this story great hope for our church. I know I do. We are going through some challenging times together right now. There are feelings of division and conflict with some of us, among some of us, because of how the session's process of study and prayer and deliberation over the policy to intentionally welcome the gay community to our church seemed to deliberately exclude input from the congregation. And the announcement of the policy by the clergy, for some, even on the session, I might add, seemed like a poorly timed time bomb had exploded. But the bottom line is this. We love this church. We love this church. And the pastors and the session love you, the people of this church. We have been called to serve. No hurt was ever intended. No hurt was ever intended. And I think it breaks our hearts to know that some of you are in pain right now. But our work and our desire to include all of God's people is heartfelt too. My, oh my, we have learned where we fell short in our communication process and how important it is to open all the lines of communication that we can as we move forward. But I'll tell you something. After studying this story to prepare for preaching today, I was so encouraged because I was reminded that no matter what happens in the life of the church, the plans and the purposes of God are always greater than our anticipation or our understanding of them. In the book of Acts, we see time and time again how God uses controversy in the church to bring people to a greater level of trust in God, a greater level of trust in one another, and in the mission Jesus has called them to dedicate their lives to. And so may we, like the apostles, seek to act in a way that honors God and each other. And may we, like the apostles, look for God to work in ways among us and through us that we would have never anticipated or asked for, or acted upon ourselves. And to God be the glory. Let us bow our hearts together in prayer. I invite us to enter into a time of silent prayer as we contemplate and reflect on God's word to us today.
We do love you, God, and we do thank you for loving us as you do. Amen. <laughs>